0: My name is Johan Orberg, and today is June 12 of 2018, and I'm here with...
1: My name is Natalia Rivera. At
0: the Central Library, Brooklyn Public Library, for the Our Streets, Our Stories project. And what's your Brooklyn story?
1: My Brooklyn story starts in Bushwick. Uh, I remember growing up and enjoying things like the fire hydrant, you know, in the summer times, especially now with it being June. I think about how hot we are and the weather changing, and we could be outside you know, hanging out in the streets in Brooklyn. You could be in the park or be at the pool. They have community pools. Um, And my Brooklyn story is exciting because it's still going. It hasn't ended. And Brooklyn keeps bringing me back. Every time I, like I've had opportunities to live in other places or maybe take a job or travel. And there's no place like home. So Brooklyn brings me back every time. And it reminds me that, my family is here, and by family even, the neighbors. Yeah. You know, you, you grow an extended family. It's not only the people that you're born with. It's the people you grow up with.
0: Yeah. Tell me more about the community.
1: Well, the, the, the fun part about our community, things like the crossing guard was someone I'll never forget. She Every morning you'd see her, she knew you by your name, even though she wasn't a teacher. She didn't work for the school, but she was outside. Snow, rain, didn't matter. Sun, even if it was really hot, she was outside. And I remember having, you know, the church. We did our communion at the local church. And with that with that part of the community, they always encouraged you to speak to the person next to you. So everything was about getting to know the person next to you. So it's so funny because now as an adult, I even talk to the people I sit with on the bus. You know, like it's very easy for me to... Do the work that I do as a community outreach specialist because I'm very comfortable talking to people, no matter where they are, no matter what they look like, no matter what they might smell like, you know, those kinds of things. Because when you grow up in a community mixed with everyone, you're not afraid. You know, you don't have any, I'm not, I'm not um, cautious, I guess, as I should be sometimes. Some people say, oh, I don't walk down that block because it's dark. But in Brooklyn, you know what dark block to walk down and what dark block not to walk down. And so it's exciting because now with the way that the community is evolving, we have so many different cultures coming into town. And so we get to experience different types of food, different types of music. It's not only what we're used to at home, you know, as a, as a Latina, I have a lot of salsa at home, you know, my family's from Puerto Rico, and we listen to salsa, merengue, bachata, you know, reggaeton, these kinds of things that are a lot of drum, a lot of beat, a lot of rhythm, a lot of move yourself, you know, but when you are in a community surrounded by so many different types of cultures, it's so easy to recognize that the cultures are similar in a lot of ways, if, if only in the music then that's the start. You know, you see the beginning of the similarities in the culture and then that's how you grow your extended family. It's like, oh, we listen to similar music and food. You know, for me, food is what brings people together. You can share a meal. I mean, unless there's an allergy at the table, right? Then we can't eat shrimp. If you're allergic to shellfish, we can't do that. I can't show you, you know, that kind of thing from my culture. But let's say, you know, what country are you from? Sweden. Sweden. So let's say we have a potluck. Right. And I bring something from my culture. You bring something from your culture. And then that's how we're exposed to each other. It's like, Oh, well, you know what? I never knew that about Sweden, but the food is really good. Or maybe it's too spicy. Like some cultures have (laughs) spice in their food, you know? So now working in St. John's bread and life where I'm able to bring people together through food. It's the same process. It's so simple. It's the same thing we learned as little children. You share your food in school. If you know your friend doesn't have food, you know, we grew up in poverty. We didn't have, not everyone had enough food to bring to school for lunch. Not everyone had money to pay for lunch or whatever, you know, and the the whole system for the children eating lunch in school is very different. You know, now there's big, huge campaigns about saving these hungry children in school. I don't remember experiencing that as a child because if we didn't have food, we shared it. I remember sharing my lunch. I remember sharing with other people's lunch, you know, yeah. but as an adult, I'm still doing the same thing. It's really that simple. It's like, well, I have a sandwich and you're hungry. I'm going to give you half. Yeah. And if we find another hungry person, we're going to have to break this sandwich in half again <laughs> until everyone eats.
0: Yeah. So you live in different places in Brooklyn.
1: Right? Yes, yes. I've actually gotten to experience um, Bushwick. I've gotten to experience Bed-Stuy. I lived in Bed-Stuy during the time when Biggie Smoles was alive. Um, He was um, killed. And unfortunately, you know, he had a procession go down the block. And we were there, you know, watching all the hip-hop stars drive by. Because, you know, if you are depending on, of course, your religious beliefs and things like that, you know, then there are some people that will practice, you know, this way of, I guess, letting go of a loved one. You know, you kind of go around the block or their neighborhood where they're from so that those people that can't make it to the funeral or whatever, some people think also they have a belief you're bringing this spirit of their person back to their neighborhood kind of thing. So it's always been a powerful memory of mine when Biggie Smalls passed away. You know, it was a major loss to Brooklyn, um, Still to this day, people love and, and, you know, praise him. His music is a legacy, you know, but remembering that block that day, it was full. The community got together, they were mourning, and it didn't matter what color you were. At that moment, in that day, we were all hip-hop lovers. We were all Biggie Smalls lovers. We were all sad to see another human go in such a brutal way. So I did I did live in bed I have lived in Red Hook. Mm-hmm, parishioner at the uh, Visitation Church. Mm-hmm. My sister got married in that church many years ago as well, and the church is still there in Visitation. Um, ironically, the organization St. John's Bread and Life is also affiliated with that church. So how funny, you know, how my life has come this route, you yeah, know, and I, I keep crossing paths with things that I experienced as a child, you know, or organizations that I was a part of as a child. So it's exciting. Now, um, we live in Flatbush and not very far from here. So the experience on this end is very different, you know, very close to Prospect Park. Prospect Park has changed tremendously. You know, back in the day, you really did not want to be caught walking in Prospect Park at, after the sun went down. It was dangerous, you know. Um, and now they've just paid so much more attention to the details, you know, to the trees, to the Walkways to the water that's there, you know, because naturally the the children, the people of the neighborhood, they see it and they want to enjoy it. They might jump in it. They might throw things in it. They might, you know, and it became very, very unsafe. Even this library, Grand Army Plaza Library, has changed. You know, it was not like this is beautiful. It's always been beautiful, but with time, you know, there's there's a little addition or maybe a renovation yes. or maybe somebody steps in and and brings more money to the community because it's like maybe we were just lacking money for a long time. I don't know. You know, it was like the people were poor, the community was poor, the whole, like everything kind of looked different. You know, we still have our neighborhoods, you know, between Flatbush, Red Hook, Bed-Stuy, I mean, Bushwick, it's everywhere. You have those points in the neighborhood where they're definitely being uplifted and renovated so the people can enjoy them still. Buildings that have been around forever so that now they're still, they can stand stronger for this, this much longer, for that many more people to enjoy it.
0: Yeah. Uh, have the libraries been important
1: for you? The library, yes. Yeah. You know, what's funny is that the library was always a study point for me. Like, that was the place to study. Yeah. I don't know. Like, kids, where do they study nowadays? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't hear them talk about the library. Why? Because with the cell phones, they do everything from their cell phones or a tablet. They don't have to go outside. I, you know, was taught to remove myself, right, from all the chaos at home, whether it's just normal TV noise or maybe your friends calling you out the, out the window, because that's another thing. Growing up as a kid, you'd hear your name out the window. I, I, it's still to this day, sometimes I'll call somebody's name out the window and they're like, we're not in the projects anymore. I'm like, I'm oh, sorry. I just I'm just calling I knew I knew you'd hear me. You heard me, right? Yeah. So I'd have to remove myself from home so that I wouldn't be distracted. And the only way to do that was take my books, go to the library, study, and then come back. If I wasn't studying my homework done, all those kinds of things, then you couldn't couldn't play. You didn't have that time, you know, to be with your friends because school was more important. And the library was for me how I gave importance to my schoolwork. Because it's hard at home. I want to watch TV and play. <laughs> and now, you know, as an adult, the Brooklyn Public Library has come into, has come into my path, uh, my career, and has exposed me to other organizations. You know, um, Brooklyn Public Library is doing a lot of fantastic work where they are organizing I mean they've always organized these fantastic events but right now the community is really coming together very strongly um, and we stand by the things that we believe in so when we stand together right we stand that much stronger and the Brooklyn Public Library has been putting us in the right places at the right time you know with the with some of the events that I've attended that Brooklyn Public Library has hosted I've met a lot of really great community leaders or other organizations, you know, participants of other organizations that are just trying to do this hard work of just communicating with the community about the different resources that we have access to. And Brooklyn Public Library has allowed us to do that. You know, we can put our flyers out, we can talk to the people, we can do presentations, or we can attend the the community events that they're doing because they're holding a lot on a regular basis. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So tell me about your work that you do with
1: St. John's Bread and Life. St. John's, my work with St. John's Bread and Life as the community outreach specialist is exciting because I have met such a variety of people. Um from being able to go to Albany, you know, and, and shake hands with some of the senators or assembly uh, people there talking, being a food advocate, you know, talking about why we need more money for food and why they shouldn't cut funding for hip nap and, you know, the kinds of things that keep a place like St. John's Bread and Life open and running. Um, To also, you know, from one extreme, from that extreme to also being as a part of our mobile soup kitchen, you know, we have a mobile food truck and sometimes it visits two or three neighborhoods in a day. So I would, I'm on the food truck a couple times a month. And so I get to then reach out to the different communities that don't live right in bedside, those people that don't live around the corner. And so I can share with them whether they need toiletries or they need food. You know, we give pantry. You know, the, the most important thing is food. And I'm so excited about that because I'm such a firm believer that food brings people together. So it's exciting now to see that from my home, Where I learned as a little girl, sharing food, you know, making sure everybody eats, making sure everybody has some, we pray, we this, however you do it at home. And then now as an adult to see all these different people, everyone enjoys their food differently, everyone shares differently, you know. But at the end of the day, we're still sharing food. They eat in the community kitchen if they wish, and I eat there. I go, we go down, we get our food, we're part of the community. You know, it's not just because we work there that we don't mingle. No, if you need pantry or you need to eat, you still are part of the same organization. You know, so it's exciting, I get to meet these people and watch their lives transition into a more positive life. Can't fix everyone's problems. I can't even fix my own problems. You know what I mean? But we do the best that we can to just alleviate some of the pressure from the lack of hope. It's a lack of hope. People have lost hope. Maybe they've been put through the housing system. We've been on waiting lists. I'm on a waiting list. You know, we've been on waiting lists for apartments for a long time. That's not gonna change overnight. And I try to encourage people, keep saving your money. You want an apartment, you wanna get out of where you are, you know, you don't wanna live in the projects anymore. However, we have to do it. Some people are still on section eight. You know, I was a little girl, eight years old nine years old, by the time both of my parents had passed away, we lost our Section 8 apartment. I could never go back to that. So now I have to do it on my own. I have to find an apartment, pay the three months first, last, and security, right? And I'm encouraging the community to do the same. We can't stay on this waiting list anymore. We have to get out and do the hard part. Save the money and move out. Get out of public housing, get out of, if we can, some people can't afford it. There are vouchers, you know, that they can qualify for. So our team, we're, we're less than 40 people in St. John's, you know, that the, the staff, we would crumble without volunteers. So between the, the the staff and the volunteers, our team gets together and we try to give back hope in the community, you know, by one meal at a time. You know, we're able to serve sometimes a couple thousand families in a week, that's a tremendous amount of people to feed. You know, they're eating from the mobile soup kitchen. They're eating from the on-site soup kitchen. Or they're getting items from the pantry. You know? And that's it. We just want to make sure we reach as many people that we can so they can eat. You know? And it's it's fun when their their lives change and then they come back to us and they say, Oh, you helped me get a job. You helped me get that apartment. You helped me during a time maybe they're just temporarily unemployed. They could be street homeless or they could be temporarily unemployed. We help anybody. Yeah. So I get to meet anyone from the top at the at, you know in Albany to regular people in the street not able to get on a bus to the top, not able to get on the waiting list to an apartment, not able to get the job that they might qualify for because they've lost hope. You know, so I'm excited to be able to bring hope back to the community. Yeah.
0: Do you feel like- how do you feel the stories uh, that you hear from all the
1: people that you meet has changed? From the, from the um, well, it's, I'm, I'm a little saddened by the fact that we are not reaching as many people as we could. I don't feel some of the stories, they have not changed drastically, you know? Um... At one point in time, you know, people were able to sleep in the in the in the parks and, you know, whatever it is. And now there some of them are being violently removed, you know, some of because of the but you have to think of both ends. And so that's the battle I have constantly is, OK, well, in bettering our neighborhoods and cleaning up the parks like I spoke about Prospect Park, right? You can't clean up the park and fix it up and repair all these things and then allow that every homeless person sleep there because then it becomes dangerous for the children. Now we have to think about everything in between homelessness and children, right? Because when I was a kid and you could just freely go outside, we would run outside, you got an hour, come back, and you knew to come back, and we would come back. But nowadays you can't you let your, your child outside, you know, for an hour, you might not see them again. So in talking to some of these people, I've realized that a lot of people have been transferred to other boroughs. You know, they're getting their vouchers are being transferred if they're in, you know, public housing of some sort, NYCHA or whatever it is, HPD, they're being transferred. So now they're being taken out, let's say from Brooklyn, and they can only afford to live in a place like the Bronx. They can't afford to live in Brooklyn anymore. It's very expensive. Even with a voucher, they're not able to make the ends meet. So this is where we are. We're still dealing with people that is like, okay, well, I can't afford to pay my rent this month. So am I going to pay half the rent and buy food? Am I going to pay all the rent and not have enough for food. So I noticed that right now the stories that have, the the way the stories are changing is that the rent has increased so much. The cost of food has also increased, you know, because now we're being more cautious of the things that we eat. We realize now that as a society, we are eating poorly, so even in the pantry, you know, St. John's Bread and Life, we just started planting our own things, you know, we're trying to follow the trend of the organic, you know, the fresh fruit, fresh vegetables, giving those kinds of things with the meals, you know, that we offer in the in the kitchen, um, because people are not getting that. So now we have a lot of diabetics, you know, we have a lot of obesity, we have a lot of people that are dealing with the swelling because of the sodium or maybe, you know, their lung issues. Salt and all these things help. They they are, are contributing to these different health issues that people are having. So I realized with through the food, we can help that, right? Just give them more nutritious items to pick from, more fruits and vegetables to take home, less high sodium canned high preservative canned high you know fructose canned items they don't have to do that you know with the pantry that we have it's a digital choice pantry they can go online from a phone or other mobile device select the food items that they want based on their family size they get points so then they can select okay i'm gonna do beans in the bag instead of beans in a can because they're healthier maybe they cook a little they take a little longer to cook but we that we teach them how to do it, right? We have food demos and teach them how to cook with the food from the pantry. So it's it's just an amazing thing to do for people that just don't know. and then then we can help them change that story. It's like we're sorry that you had to be relocated because you can't no longer you can no longer afford to live yeah. in Brooklyn. that's that's the new Brooklyn story, you know, because before, We were all kind of doing the same thing, yeah, I mean, we're poor, we're living in whatever conditions we had to, to survive, but the kids were happy, we went to school, we did these things, and now you take these people that have been here all these years, some seniors, they cannot afford to live here anymore, and so that's where they're at, they're kind of, should I pay the gas bill, or should I buy food? So what's been
0: uh, the most rewarding parts for you working
1: Throughout the winter was definitely a rewarding time. Um, I realized that even with like the snow yeah. um, and the rain, they, people just don't expect that you're going to be consistent. Okay. Yeah. And so I practiced consistency showing up even if it snowed, showing up even if it rains, you know, bringing socks, bringing boots, bringing, you know, we have protective coats that, you know, if if you happen to be street homeless, you can get now, it's almost like a um, sleeping bag in a coat. So you get shelter, you get warmth, you get all of that, you know. So after a while, these people will see me. Now here we are approaching the summer, and they'll never forget me. I'll never forget them. And now I'm always, again, what do you need now? What can I do to help you now? And I learned that the hard way is asking them, how can I help you? Because in trying to just give help, when I first got on to this job and I was like, oh, I'm going to give socks to everybody and I'm going to give hats to everybody. I'm going to give a can of food to everybody. Really and truly, if you don't take the time to ask, what does this person need? You could give them a pair of socks. You can give them a can of food. You can give them the keys to an apartment, but if it's not what they need, you're still not helping them. So I learned how to gauge what it is that people need. Because I don't want to I don't want to be useless in your life. I want to be useful. I don't want to be just the wind that blows, you know what I mean? I want I want to be the wind that you can feel. So that you know I was there and I'll be back if you need more help. You know how to reach me. I tell people, I'm easy to find. I'm always going to be here. Here's my number. I don't hesitate. Here's my number. Call me. If I can't do it, somebody else will. I promise you, I'll find somebody that can. So that's what I learned. I learned to ask them, anyone that I meet, you know, um, what can I do to help you? Just so I can be better at it. Better at helping. It's hard to help. It's hard to be helpful when you don't know how to help, you know, some people just need a hug, and I'll get that, some people will say, it was just, thank you, thank you, it was nice talking, and you listened to me, that's a big deal, listening, just letting someone talk, you may meet a veteran, you don't even know it, they won't identify if they don't feel comfortable, but when you let them talk, you find out everything, it's just like a, a breath of fresh air, they're like, oh, thank you, Everyone's so busy moving so quickly in this city. Nobody ever stops to listen to me.
0: So what's the hardest thing?
1: The hardest thing working with the community is not being able to get to everyone, I guess, which is kind of selfish, right? Because I don't have enough time in the day. I wish I had more time in the day. So that I could reach more families, I could reach more hearts and just expose the good things that are going on, you know, the resources that that we have access to that people just don't know, you know, they're afraid to expose their vulnerabilities, They're, they're afraid to be honest about their status maybe, you know, when we're all suffering in one way or another. Your story might be different than mine, but who's to say that it's less suffering? You know, we're, we're living in a time right now where mental illness is being ignored or just not being, maybe not even ignored, it's just not being talked about amongst the people that are suffering right just the same way people that need food i'm experiencing that they don't talk about how much food they need right it's almost embarrassing it's a stigma you know they're like oh no you know we're gonna go to the pantry we have to stand outside on the line for two hours everybody's gonna see you and it's not like that anymore you know especially with a digital pantry we've transformed this but I, gotta, I have to get out to so many more people to show them. I want to stand on top of a building and tell them, hey, we have free food. Worry about the rest later. I'm, allevi- I'm, I'm able to alleviate anywhere between $100 and $200 minimum from every family's budget. If you have a budget set for food, I can alleviate almost $200 worth of that budget. And then you can do something else with that money. So I just feel like I can't, I can't reach him, as many people as I'd like to. And the more people I reach, the more there are, because they're moving in and out so frequently. People move into the city, out of the city, moving into Brooklyn. They're, they're, it's now to the point where people commute, you know, even from Jersey, and work in Brooklyn. They don't only live here. People wanna be a part of this community so bad, they're coming even from Connecticut, and they take the train in, just to work in Brooklyn. You know, so I wish I could meet and greet and touch more people. Yeah.
0: Uh, is there any advice you'd like to give to people coming to Brooklyn or to like, future generations?
1: For people coming to Brooklyn, whether it be to, to visit or to live, I would definitely say keep an open mind. While Brooklyn has definitely evolved uh, Brooklyn has always been beautiful. And there's a lot of very natural elements, you know, especially like where we are in Grand Army Plaza. This plaza in itself, is it's this historic situation. It's beautiful to look at. They don't make buildings like this anymore, you know? So I just say to people that are coming in, whether you're going to visit or live, have an open mind, you know? Absorb the different cultures. That whole idea of the melting pot, it's right here in Brooklyn. We have every country right here. People are representing their countries right here. You can go anywhere, up and down Eastern Parkway, we have Jewish people, we have African people, we have Spanish people, we have, we have everything. You know, I love it when they do the food truck here in, in Grand Army Plaza, they have the whole thing full of different food trucks, all kinds of food. So for them, keep an open mind. For the generations that are coming, the children that live in this neighborhood, and will grow up here, you know? They'll be our future leaders, our, our community leaders, um, and and different heads of organizations or, or, or companies of their own, maybe restaurants, laundromats. But for them, I, I wanna say, don't forget your culture. We have to continue to keep our authenticity, each of us, because that's what makes Brooklyn great. The fact that we can bring each of our authentic cultures, and bring them together. And we might potentially grow into a whole new culture. You know, make a, a dish that we have, you know, half, a, a little portion of everybody's culture in that one plate. You know, the same way we have vegetable, a protein, and a carb, you know, we could have it from different cultures. You know, I think that if the generations to come are strong in that sense and hold on to the their specific culture, and continue to share that in the community, then our community will stay strong. Because we just have to remember that this community is made up of many cultures. Our Brooklyn culture is made up of so many countries. Like, we we have it all.
0: Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about today that we get to?
1: I'll tell you the few things I like to eat that are still there. We can still eat yeah. them, right? Our bagels. Bagels, I still remember. Went to school on Court Street in Brooklyn, which is transformed. But the bagel store is still there. The bagels in Brooklyn are amazing. And coconut custard ices on Court Street. The movie theater on Court Street is still there. I used to go to that movie theater when I was a little girl, get out of school. And it's like if you get there fast enough, you can get like that three o'clock matinee thing. Loved it. Loved it. And the Cuchifrito. frito. The coochie frito. It's a the Cuchifrito frito is fantastic. You know, it's right there, right off of Broadway. It's never gonna change, you know, across from Woodhall Hospital. And it's just it's so funny how as a child my mother worked in Woodhall Hospital as a nurse in the psychiatric ward, and not only maybe two months ago, I got invited to uh, Woodhall Hospital to visit the psychiatric ward, um, and it just it brought me back a long time because of course yeah I was not allowed to go visit Woodhall Hospital where well, my mother worked there because it's like Woodhall Hospital you might you walk in but you never walk out that was the, that was what they thought you know and. I got to meet the people, you know, she she's passed away, rest her soul. But I got to meet people in there, you know, that knew her and knew her work. And it was exciting for me to be now all these years later. I mean, from nine to now, so many years and be able to walk in the hospital and walk out, right? (laughs) Number one. But number two, see that the psychiatric ward is still doing a lot of tremendous things to help the community as best they can. You know, we're in a community where people are unfortunately overdosing, you know, still things like K2 are taking over, um, sadly. Um, but you know, Woodhull Hospital is working on, on helping those people, you know, that anyone who is, who does not, you know, overdose and does, you know, recover. We have a lot of things in place in combination, you know, St. John's working with Woodhull and other a lot of other organizations and a lot of other hospitals to help, you know, with what's going on in regards to drugs and, and you know, alcoholism in the neighborhood. Because if we can help even a handful, you know, then eventually they help each other.
0: Yeah. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. Our, our thank great. you. You too. Thank you.